Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I recently heard a story about a young boy's reliance on his father. The story takes place in the Alp Mountains, and it tells how some scientists were exploring the mountains. They were botanists looking for special flowers and new species, and and one day they they were looking through the binoculars, and and they saw a flower that was extremely beautiful and extremely rare. It was a very important discovery, and, and they wanted to get it so they could study it more closely. But there was a problem. The problem was that this flower lay a long, a long way down in a ravine with cliffs on both sides. And so as they were trying to figure out how to, how to get it, they noticed a, a young boy watching them. And so they offered this boy money if, if he would go down by, by a rope and, and, and get the flower for them. The boy went to the cliff and, and he looked down and it was a very long way down. And as he looked and then he turned to the group of scientists and he said, I'll be back in a minute. And when he came back, he had an older man with him and he said to the scientists, to the botanists, he said, I'll go down over that cliff and get that flower for you if this man beside me holds the rope. He's my dad. It's a touching story. It shows how this boy relied entirely on his father. In congregation, that's the way believers should rely on God the Father. Maybe you, you noticed how when we read Lord's Day 9, the believer's answer in that, in that answer there, it speaks of that. It speaks of relying entirely on God as our God and Father, as my God and my Father. That's the way we should rely on Him. But I think if we're honest, we don't always do a good job of that. Sometimes the circumstances of life overwhelm us and and frighten us so that we lose sight of, of who this God is, who this Father is. Or sometimes our own unworthiness as sinners or, or perhaps Satan's accusations can make us as believers fear whether, whether God really is our God and Father. Sometimes it can seem like the suffering and the trauma that we have to go through in life, it seems to contradict. It seems to contradict God's fatherly care. And sometimes, too, it can be that we struggle to rely on God as our our Heavenly Father because our own earthly Father wasn't really that reliable. Maybe you had or or maybe you have a, a hard father, an abusive father, or an absent father. And so how can, with all these challenges, how can we learn to rely more on God as our God and Father? How can we learn to rely entirely on Him, like the young boy we just heard about? Or perhaps the question for some of you is this, how can I learn to rely on God as my God and Father at all? Because maybe, maybe right now, maybe you're here this evening and He's not your God and your Father, not personally. That's possible too. Oh, beloved, the only real way to learn to rely on God the Father for the first time and and increasingly so, entirely so, as our God and Father is to listen to what He says in His Word about who He is and what kind of God and Father He is. And it's the biblical teaching of this topic that Lord's Day 9 of our Heidelberg Catechism faithfully summarizes and that many places in the Scriptures also explain, including the passage we, we read from, Romans 8, 
And so with God's help, our, our theme for this message is relying entirely on God as your God and Father. And we hope to see three things about God the Father that helps us to do this, that helps us to rely entirely on Him. First of all, we, we should rely entirely on Him because He's so glorious. Because He's so glorious. Secondly, because He's so gracious. And thirdly, because He's so good. He's so good. So first, let's consider the Bible's teaching about how glorious God is. The Catechism asks the question, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? This is, of course, the first line of the Apostles' Creed, which, which summarizes the main truths of the Christian faith, the Christian's confession. And just, just by the way, remember that, it's a confession. The Apostles' Creed doesn't invent truth. It confesses the truth that God has revealed to us already in His Word. It's important to remember that. Anyways, a couple of weeks ago, we saw how the Creed is divided into three parts. Remember that? And how together the three parts teach us that, that God, the God of the Bible, is a triune God. But now in Lord's Day 9, we, we come to this first part of the Creed, which is a confession of faith in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But what does that mean? Well, listen to how the Catechism answers, speaking from the perspective of a, of a believer, someone who has true saving faith. When I confess to believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I'm confessing to believe that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. You notice that, that personal element. He is my God and my Father. And then it goes on to speak about how I rely entirely on Him. But, but let's just stop and think about what this first part is saying. Isn't it saying, isn't it saying congregation, how glorious our God and Father is? He's the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the eternal Father of His Son. That means that there has never been a time when God has not been the Father of our Lord. And there never will be a time when He won't be the Father of Jesus Christ. He's always been and He always will be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus was on earth, He's, He spoke often of the special one-of-a-kind relationship he had with, with God as his Father. He, he spoke of himself, for example, we know John 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Those are Jesus. Jesus is speaking those words. That whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus referred to God as his Father Many times he, he called God his father. He, he often prayed to God as his father. But you know, he never spoke. He never spoke of God becoming his father or of himself becoming God's son. He just is God's son. And God just is his father. And in John 17, verse 24, when Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, he speaks, he's praying to God and he speaks of God as his father 
who loved him before the foundation of the world. In other words, before creation. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but but part of the creation of the world is the creation of time. Before creation, there was no time. There was only eternity. And the, the point I'm making with this then is that the Bible here in this verse also clearly teaches that God is the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're thinking, I can't understand that, so, so why does it matter? And it's true, none of us can fully understand how God is the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that it's unimportant. It matters. It matters because it means that he's worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. And he's worthy. He's worthy of our entire reliance. You think of it this way. Your earthly father, your dad, wasn't always a father. He became a father. And that means that he had to learn to be a father. He made mistakes along the way. Every honest human father will admit that. They will admit they are not perfect. But God is an eternal father. He never had to learn to be a father. He's the eternal father, and therefore, he's the perfect father. Doesn't that, knowing that help you to rely on him more? What's more, his being the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it means this. It means he's never, ever going to disown Jesus. You know, in our world today, parents sometimes disown their children. But God never does that. He'll never do that with his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you belong to Jesus, if you are united to him by faith, if, then you have the certainty that he'll never, ever disown you either. Nothing, as Paul says, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you see how glorious God is as our God, as your God and Father, dear believer? He's the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but He's more than that. He's also the almighty Creator and the upholder of all things. He is the one who out of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence. Now the next Lord's Day zeroes in on God's providence especially, so I'm not going to really touch on that here, but but just think what this says about who God is for believers as their God and Father. He is this in himself, of course. He is almighty. He made everything out of nothing just by his word and spirit. Read Genesis 1. The Bible never speaks of the things that exist as products of evolution. Even in Romans 8, we can, we can see that. Paul speaks of the creature. He speaks of the creation. And, and these are words, congregation, that refer to God's activity in the beginning when he made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. So Paul is taking Genesis as true history. And Paul's words in Romans 8, like every single word in the Bible, are spirit-inspired words. They are God's words. That means they're true. God really is the almighty 
creator. And here's the thing. This God, this almighty, this all-powerful creator and sustainer, the believer confesses, is my God and my Father. Do you ever think of that? Do you ever look at the planets and at the stars and the mountains and the rivers and the birds and the, and the flowers and the butterflies and, and the fields? And do you ever look at that and, and think that the God who made all of this out of nothing is your God and your Father? When you go to Waterton National Park or when you go, go to Kananaskis or, or some other place like that, do you ever think that the God who made all that is your God and your Father? Isn't that amazing to think of? How almighty, how glorious He is. Isn't He a God and Father you should worship? Isn't He a God and Father you should obey? Isn't he a God and Father you can and should rely on entirely? As Paul says in Romans 8, verse 31, if God, if God, this God, the Creator God and the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be for us, who can be against us? You see, if you are a believer, if you are a believer, God is for you. He's for you because you are in Christ. And in Christ, you have a relationship with God, the Creator, as your God and your Father. You know, that should really humble us, shouldn't it? It should humble us when we think of all the times we haven't trusted Him. All the times we haven't relied on Him entirely. All the times we've tried to rely on ourselves or on other people or on other things. How foolish how God-dishonoring that is in light of how glorious He is. Oh, let us repent then of all our self-reliance and seek by grace to depend on Him more, to surrender all to Him and to rely completely on Him as our God and Father in all of life. Who can compare? Who can compare to Him? Maybe you see how glorious he is, but you still struggle. You struggle because you look at yourself, at your sins, at your failures, and you struggle to believe he can be your God and your Father. Or maybe you're, you're listening to all this and you, all this talk about God being your God and your Father is completely foreign. You, you, it's, it's, you don't understand it. Well, this brings us to our second point. The God who is the God and Father of believers is not only so glorious, He's also so gracious. Lord's Day 9 points out that when it says that this glorious God, this glorious God is for the, this glorious God is for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father. Now, do you hear what the believer is saying here on the basis of Scripture? He's admitting, she's confessing, God is not my God and my Father by default. He's not my God and my Father automatically. He's my God and my Father because of Christ, His Son. He is my God and my Father by grace alone, in Christ alone. And beloved, this is scriptural. If you look again with me at Romans 8, we, we didn't read the first 11 verses or so, but 
But if you look in the uh, verses 7 and 8, Paul reminds us what our relationship to God is by nature, apart from grace. In verse 7, he describes the carnal mind as enmity against God, as not being and not able to be subject to the law of God. And then in verse 8, he declares that they that are in the flesh, by nature, cannot please God. That's our relationship to God in and of ourselves. And that means that in and of ourselves, God is not our God. And God is not our Father. In fact, in John 8, Jesus said something very shocking. He said something very shocking to the unbelieving Jews who, who were rejecting him, who, who, who presumptuously claimed God as their Father. He told them, God is not your Father. Because if he was, he said, you would love me. They would love Jesus because he is the son of God, because he has been sent from the Father. But they didn't. They didn't. And so he says, God is not your Father. And then he says this very shocking thing. You are of the Father, you're de- you're the, father the devil. You are of your Father, the devil. And the lust of your Father, you will do. It's shocking. And maybe it seems kind of, kind of harsh. But these are Christ's words. If you are here this evening and, and you don't love Jesus Christ, if you are not believing in him for your salvation, then according to Jesus, God is not your father. The devil is. That should wake you up. That should make you tremble. That should bring you to your knees before God in repentance. Because being a child of the devil, no matter what the devil worshippers in our day might tell us, is not a position you really want to be in, especially when Christ returns. And yet, beloved, that's the position we all are in by nature, apart from grace. Do you ever think about that? It's good to think about that, because, because then... Then when, when God saves you and he becomes your father, your God, it becomes all the more amazing. You see, when everything changes, when God in his sovereign grace saves you, when he changes your heart and draws you to Christ so that you come to him in repentance and faith, then your relationship to Satan is cut off. He no longer is your father. But not only that, God himself in his marvelous and astounding grace becomes your father instead. He doesn't leave you an orphan. He adopts you. By his spirit, he makes you his child. Paul speaks about this in Romans 8 verse 15. When he says to the believers there in Rome, he says, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's what happens when a person is saved. He or she goes from being the devil's child to being God's child. He goes from a relationship with Satan as his father to a relationship with God as his father. And that's not true just of some. That's true of everyone who is saved. And you say, how? 
How can that be? How, how can God, the holy and the just, righteous God, make me a wretched and a vile sinner his child? On what basis does he become my father? Well, think about how Romans 8 begins. It begins with these glorious words. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's how. That's why, dear believer, you can confess God as your God and your Father. God, the one who is the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the almighty creator and sustainer God is my God and my Father because of, for the sake of, Christ his Son. Do you see how gracious, do you see how gracious a God and Father he is to hell-deserving sinners? You see, when we are in Christ, and Paul makes clear earlier in Romans that we are only in Christ by faith in him, when we are in Christ, then our sin has been dealt with. It has been paid for, and God counts us as righteous in and through Jesus Christ. And not only that, but when we are in Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ comes to live in us. That's what Paul teaches us in in Romans 8, verse 9. And that means that, that, that even when we struggle with sin as believers, we are not in bondage to sin. But through the Spirit, we have been graciously given new life. And not only that, but through the Spirit, we have been graciously given a new relationship. A relationship with God as our Father. A relationship grounded in the work, in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alone. Oh, what a comfort. What a comfort and an encouragement that is to trembling believers who hardly dare to call God their Father, who who don't hardly dare to, to rely on Him as their God and their Father. Maybe you're here this evening and you feel like you feel like the wretched man in Romans 7. Your sins and your sinfulness seem so great still that you dare not lift your eyes. And, and maybe Satan's accusations like fiery darts, like, like the missiles that Russia sometimes sends on Ukraine in, 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 in just barrages. Maybe Satan's accusations have been like that, flying fast and heavy on your soul. And maybe you wonder, you're here wondering, how can a sinful wretch like me really be a child of God? How? For the sake of Christ, his Son whom God sent in the likeness of sinful flesh and by whom he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the sake of Christ his Son whom God delivered up for us all. For the sake of Christ his Son who died yea, rather, is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God the Father, who also makes intercession for us. God is my God and my Father for the sake of that one. For the sake of Christ. That means he is my Father. He is my Father unconditionally. Unconditionally. 
He's my father whether I'm young or whether I'm old. He's my father whether I'm a new Christian or whether I'm a long-time Christian. Yes, he is even, even my father when I have disobeyed him. You see, children, your dad, your dad doesn't stop being your father, does he? When you disobey him, do you, right? No, he remains your father. And it's the same with God's people, with God's children. God doesn't stop being their father when they sin. He doesn't disown them, but he loves them. Yes, he loves them enough to discipline them, as Hebrews 12 reminds us. And that discipline is always painful. And it's meant to be. It's meant to be. So that we learn to hate and avoid avoid sin. It always hurts. But it's for our good. It's for our holiness. He disciplines us, but he remains our father. He disciplines us. He disciplines us because he's our father for Christ's sake. And beloved, the point to see, the point I hope you're seeing with me here is how gracious, how gracious God is as the God and father of his people. He is my God and my father for the sake of Christ his son. Is that your confession? Have you received the Spirit of God, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. If you are in Christ, by grace, through faith, you have. Then he is your God and your Father. He's so gracious, so gracious. Oh, then lean on him. Rely on him also in your spiritual battles, also in your struggles and your failures and and everything, even in his discipline of you. You won't find a more loving and a more faithful father anywhere else. Beloved, if you you are here and you don't know God as your father, then flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. Look to him in faith because he is the one who brings us to the father. And whoever comes to him in faith, he says in his word, he will never, ever turn away. But maybe you say, Pastor, that sounds so nice. But, but, but to be honest, I, I still struggle. I struggle to rely on him because I don't understand. I don't understand why he lets me suffer. Or I struggle to rely on him because my experience with my own earthly father, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. That brings us to our third and last point. The God and Father of believers is is not only so glorious and he's not only so gracious, he's also so good. In the words of the catechism, God is my God and my Father on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt but he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body and further that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears to turn out to my advantage, for he is able to do it, being almighty God and willing, being a faithful father. You hear what the believer is confessing here? He's, he's saying, he's confessing that his God and father, his father, is just so good. He will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body. You know, that really 
really, in a sense, follows. It just follows from the fact that God is our Father by grace for the sake of Christ, His Son. Because Paul, Paul puts it this way in, in Romans 8, verse 32. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with them also freely give us all things? Do you see what he's saying? Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, listen, God gave his son for you. He sent him to die for you in your place in order to save you, in order to make you his child, in order to make you an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ, in order to one day make you to inherit a glory that you can't even begin to imagine, a glory that will include even the redemption, the resurrection of your body. And therefore, most certainly then, most certainly, he will provide all you need, all your life long, body and soul. You know, children, Jesus reminded his disciples of this in a well-known passage. I'm sure you know it. Matthew 6. And Jesus there is telling his disciples not to, not to worry, not to be anxious. And, and what does he tell them as he, as he calls them to, to not be anxious for, for what they will wear or what they will eat or what they will drink? What, what does he tell them to look at? Do you remember, children? What does Jesus tell them to look at? He tells them to look at the birds. To look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. Yet, he says, your heavenly Father feeds them. And are ye not much better than they? Or as he says in another place, are you not of much more value than many sparrows? And then he tells them to, to consider what? He tells them to consider the lilies of the field, doesn't he? They don't toil, they don't, they don't spin, and, and yet they're more glorious than King Solomon in his royal robes. And then he says this, Jesus says this to his disciples. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then he calls them again, don't, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your needs. For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all the things you need shall be added unto you. Our Heavenly Father will provide all that we need. We can rely on Him entirely because He's so good. But what about the suffering we experience? What about the sickness and the pain? What about the evils that we have to go through? Well, God is a good God and Father, even in those hard and those painful and those difficult times. Because He will make whatever evils He sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage. Or to say it in the words of Paul in Romans 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
Now, beloved, I know very well that those words can be abused. Maybe you've heard them used to justify evil actions, and that's wrong. And they can also sometimes be spoken in a wrong way to someone who is suffering. They can be said in a way that actually hurts a a child of God who has just lost a loved one or who is struggling with a terminal disease or some other illness or who has just suffered a painful betrayal. And and maybe maybe you know that by experience. You you yourself have been hurt by those words because however well-intentioned they may have been, they were spoken by someone who has never been in your shoes. They were spoken lightly. And we need to be careful about that. There are times, beloved, there are times when the best thing to do when you're with someone who's suffering is just to be quiet and to listen, to let them pour out their heart and to weep with them. But beloved, we need to understand that Paul didn't write Romans 8 verse 28 lightly. He knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to be persecuted. He knew what it was to be forsaken and even betrayed by others. And yet he still wrote these words. Why? Because he knew that God is good. Always. And therefore, he knew that the suffering our Heavenly Father calls us to go through in our lives as his children is ultimately for our good. And what is that good, beloved? What is that good? We have to keep reading, don't you? Romans 8, verse 29. That good is to be conformed to the image of God's Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Isn't that what you want, dear child of God? Don't you want to be like Christ? Yes, that is what a true child of God wants, because that really is the greatest good. And Paul is saying, God, as our God and Father, is going to make sure that happens. And though we may not be able to understand it here and now, He will even use the evils, the calamities, the suffering that he in his sovereign wisdom has sent and allowed into our lives for that purpose. Because he is able, being almighty God, and he is willing, being a faithful father. He's just so good. Doesn't knowing that help you to rely on him entirely? Even in the midst of of your suffering. Yes, doesn't seeing and knowing how glorious he is, how gracious he is, and how good he is help us to rely on him entirely. What a God, what a God and Father he is. Is he your God and your Father? Oh, then let us honor him and let us obey him. Let us trust him. Also in this week ahead, no matter what comes our way, yes, let us rely on our God and our Father, like that boy who relied so entirely on his dad that he could go over that cliff, deep into that ravine by a rope to get that flower for those scientists because the person holding the rope was his father. Amen.
How deep, how deep the Father's love for us that he should make a wretch his treasure, his child. Oh Lord, we bow in wonder once again and in awe at your great grace. We say with the apostle, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Lord, we bring before you anybody who's here this evening who who maybe doesn't know what that means yet, who doesn't know what that is, Lord, grant that they would see what they are missing, what they are missing, and that they would look to Christ, look to our Lord Jesus Christ, whom God sent, whom the Father sent, so that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life, and should be brought into a relationship with you, as a child to a father. Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember how glorious you are and how gracious you are and how good you are. But also as we go through our lives and we all have our unique trials and difficulties, Lord, that we would rely on you, that we would rely on you entirely, For that is what really honors a father. That is what really honors you. So we pray that you go with us and help us. As we go home too, we pray for safety. And bring us back again, Lord, in the next Lord's Day. We ask this all in forgiveness of all of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll close with singing from Psalter 237. 237, all the verses.
doxology will be Psalter 427, verse 8. Receive now the blessing of the Lord and go to your homes in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.